From Connext Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. From the steady mom and pop barbecue joint to the red hot tech startups that are making huge waves, Atlanta is full of brands and small businesses that got their start and are thriving right here in the ATL. So naturally, I've been wondering, how did they get there? What tips and tricks or marketing strategies do they use to keep growing? But more importantly, we want to get to know some of these founders and entrepreneurs. We want to hear their stories and share it with the communities they call home. So that brings us here. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about those businesses that are being built right here in the capital of the South. And it's a show about their founders, their challenges and successes, and how they built a brand that will last. Today's show features Fred McGill, co-founder of Simple Showing, a real estate startup disrupting one of the nation's biggest industries by putting the consumer in the driver's seat. The company launched in Atlanta in early 2017 and is making waves on a few fronts. With modern technology, in many cases, you, the consumer, are doing the work of finding your next home. Using the Simple Showing app, you can schedule a time to see the home yourself, and Fred and his team reward you with a percentage of their commission at closing. He will tell you more about the company later in the show, but first, we wanted to hear the story of the man behind the brand. You are a native of the uh, of the Gainesville area. That is, is that correct. Right? That is correct, sir. So... Not quite. Do people from Gainesville consider themselves Metro Atlantans? I don't think so. You know, yeah. you know, Gainesville's the poultry capital of the world, right? I do know that, actually. Poultry capital of the world. It's a big claim to fame. It's on the water tower, so you know it's legit. Listen, there's a lot of charm in Gainesville. There's a lot going on up there. It is the salt of the earth. Those people are just tremendous. So growing up in Gainesville, mm-hmm. um, you know, the poultry capital of the world, as you've already expressed. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, was real estate a thing that you were always interested in? How did, uh, you know, growing up, what was what was the plan? You know, I think it was a combination actually of being around Atlanta, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, you know how the, the, the city looked when you were, you know, eight years old, right? And you can mm-hmm. kind of think of, like, all the pre-growth that happened between, like, 19, you know, probably early 90s before the Olympics oh, yeah. to, like, you know, early 2000s, that 10-year stretch, all the building and all the stuff in North Atlanta and Gwinnett right. County. And you grew up in Gwinnett County. You know, you I saw did. this, like, you know, all this um, sprawl, right? So I think seeing some of that, my dad was a builder. He was mm-hmm. a he was a developer, built about uh, four or 500 houses in North Atlanta. And just watching some of that being being on job sites, you know, from when I was young and seeing like the construction process was always super interesting. But I think just seeing, you know, being able to create something, right? Being able to see like, all right, this is a, this is a plot of land. Let's build a house here. And then you, you watch the process. It's painful. And then you get to the end. You're like, oh, man, that was so cool. You see and, the finished product. Yeah, I see yeah. the finished product. And then and, and that sort of that evolved from when I was a kid to whenever I got out of college and got my first flip and started you know messing around learning how to do tile work or learn how to do you know very very light remodeling that's how I kind of originally got into real estate even though his interest in real estate started at a young age Fred went in a completely different direction to start his career after graduating from Sanford University and talking through options with friends and family Fred's first job was in medical sales it was uh, plates and screws. So if you oh, ever like okay. broke your wrist or your ankle yeah. or your leg, 
we sold um, these titanium <laughs> plates, basically, and screws. Yeah. Did you ever break anything? No, I've never broken anything, but I'm Maybe. just trying to picture you in a meeting with like a group of doctors <laughs> being like, listen. Listen, guys, this is this what is you're going to want to do. This is the best plate or screw that that's, you have ever used. That's precisely what you, that is exactly what happens, actually. Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah, pretty much the process is, is like, you know, for this fracture, this is the style of plate you would, you would use, right. you know, and these are the type of screws that would have, you know, that we could capture in this sort of okay. cancellous bone or this sort of like cortical bone, which is like the style of where it's at in the bone. Anyway. Yeah. So I did that for four years, actually. Was that all like stuff, stuff you had to learn on the fly or did you have totally, a background? Yeah. In no, no. I, well, the first year you I did. a good I biology did, student? No, I wasn't. The first year <laughs> I did nothing. I basically shadow cases, which means you go into the surgery and you just sit there and say nothing. You just watch. Yeah. So I had to do that for about a year. And then, uh, and then, yeah, anyway, yeah. So I, I did that healthcare stuff for about four years in Chicago, but then I, I transitioned from that. Cause you know, healthcare is not, it's not that cool. Hmm. It's not that cool. My wife's a nurse. I, I'm aware. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it was not my passion, put it that way, I but it was great in terms of getting experience. But, um, and I think also it provided a bridge because I went from device sales into healthcare software. Okay. So this, this is big, long evolution to get back to real estate, but, <laughs> but, but all, uh, all the while, are you kind of dabbling in the, in the flipping and in the real estate side? Yes, or did that the whole start time, later? The whole time. Yeah. Um, in fact, my uh, first flip, I was 25, 24, 25. I was right when I moved to Chicago. It was probably six, eight months after I moved to Chicago. And it was a really cool – you heard of a Sears home, Sears catalog home? No. So back in the Midwest, um, this was a really big thing in Chicago, Detroit, uh, Wisconsin, Min- Minneapolis, where Sears, which was based in Chicago, would have a – you know, they'd send out a catalog, you know, back in the – Right. 30s, 20s, right. 40s, whatever. They would send out these catalogs and um, and people would, would order a home out of a catalog. That's how it used to be done, like way back in the day. Wow. Yeah, you would literally would. would uh, so I have, a, I have the photo from the owner that's, that's the picture on page, you know, 137. That's this, I think it was called like the Ardmore or something like that. I might be making that up. But that was a style of home. And so it shows all the, you know, you're going to receive 234 sticks of lumber. You're going to receive you know, 74 pieces of trim, you know, all the, all these things that you get as part of the, you know, this home package. And, um, and it like shows up on your doorstep in a pallet. Cor- and yeah, you correct. Just go and build it. Well, but the funny thing about this is this house was like, I think it was like 79 or $7,900. It was okay. like $8,000 for this house. Right. And they, this whole thing shows up on your doorstep and then you have somebody build it for you. So it was built in 1928 is the point of the story. And as you might imagine, it needed a lot of help. Yeah. So that was my first flip. Um, many, many years ago. That was pre-housing crisis. And that um, was in Chicago? So that would have been in 2000, and, yeah, 2003, 2004, yeah. Okay. That was my first that's one. Cool. I've probably done about a dozen or so since then. But, um, but yeah, that's – and I've done it ever since, and even while I was not in real estate. What gets you back to Atlanta? Healthcare software, I came back to Atlanta mm-hmm. and did that for a couple of years. Um, and then my final bridge out of healthcare was going from healthcare to healthcare software to just mm-hmm. purely software. Okay. And then uh, that was when I was working for uh, Salesforce. I'm going to go for Salesforce. Oh, nice. And that's, that's, I think, when the vision of Simple Showing kind of started was getting all that perspective from Salesforce, which is a great technology business. Right. And, and that sort of translates. The way, the way they do business translates, I think, to a lot of industries. So you started um, thinking about the things that make that so successful and how does that apply to totally. your passion in real estate? Absolutely, yeah. 
I was at Salesforce, and at the same time of being at Salesforce, I was in school at Georgia Tech for my MBA, and we were in a class um, called Product Development, which is basically just gives you this um, essentially like a project, right, where you're like in a team, and you come up with an idea, a business idea, and and the whole concept is like how to commercialize that idea. Hmm. And so we, um, you know, we're in a group of, I think, four people, and they, they sort of like, you know, put you in a group. And then, um, you know, they're pretty flexible in the business school where they're like, you know, they give you a lot of creative latitude. You know, they, you're not undergrad students. So, like, you know, guys, come up with anything you want, whatever you think is feasible that's going to add value. Um, and then everyone sort of pitch ideas and then pick one. And so my idea at the time, so this would have been in, like, 2016, uh, early 2016, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I was telling them I'm flipping a house right now, and I have my real estate license. And everyone was a lot of my friends were were coming up to me saying, "Hey, you know, Fred, I know you, uh, you know, you work for Salesforce, whatever. I know you're not a real estate agent, you know, by trade, but you have you have a license. And um, I'm thinking about buying this house in Chamblee. Can you take me by there to look at it?" And so I kept getting people, yeah, like. <laughs> They were friends primarily, right? They were just yeah. like, hey, I heard Fred's got a real estate license. And so these people did not want to go hire an agent. They didn't want to go and, you know. Why did you have a real estate license? I've had it. I've just, when I moved back to Atlanta, I've had it now for, I guess, seven years. Yeah. I got it because when I was flipping houses, you know, I didn't want to pay you commissions. You to be able to sell them. Yeah, just to make more yeah. margin on deals that I was doing. Sure. And so, um, so I kept getting people that were like, you know, hey, um, shoot me text like, hey, I'm trying to get in this house tomorrow. Do you? I heard you have a license. Do you mind like? And I'm like, I'm, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm working for Salesforce. I'm going to business school. Like, I can't go out there. Like, but of course, I did a lot of times, and I frequently would help, and I probably help you know seven or eight people buy houses and get in houses, even though that's not my job. And I would, I wouldn't really even charge them anything. I might just kick them back all the commission or whatever, um, or charge them a hundred bucks or something. So. Um, but I discovered, I was like, you know, I thought I was the only one like that. I thought I, I figured, you know, I was the only one that sort of wanted to bypass the agent and just like, I'll just get my license on. I don't need you to help me, Mr. Realtor, like tell me that these countertops are granted or tell me this backyard's too small. Like it's obvious. I already know. I just need to unlock the door. Right. Just let me in the house. And then I discovered all these friends of mine that were like, hey, um, can I get inside this, this house? I'm trying to put an offer in. I'm like, well, why don't you just hire an agent? And they're like, I don't need an agent. I just need to get inside. Yeah. And so all these, uh, it, it dawned on me one day where I had a friend of mine, she um, wanted me to show her house in uh, uh, kind of Inman Park, Reynoldstown area. Meet her there, um, sat in a bunch of traffic to get there. I finally get there, I'm sitting in the front door waiting for her and walk inside the house and, and you know, and as we're walking in, I unlocked the door with my little e-key, the super e-key, which is the realtor key. And she's like, listen, I really appreciate it. I know that, you know, this is a big favor you driving down here to let me into this house. And she's like, um, so like not to offend you or anything, but like, is there a way that you can like give me that key on your phone? Cause like, I actually don't need you. Like, I don't need you to meet me here and I don't actually need your opinion, but I do need to get inside the house. Is there a way that I can have that key from your phone? I'm like, no, I'm like, yeah. like it's the agent key. That's the point. Like, it's not like you have to have a license to get this little key. And so that's when I was, that's the, that's sort of when the idea of simple showing started, started brewing up. Um, and then we took that idea into that business school class product development, which is, it wasn't called simple showing. It was basically like, Hey, what if there's an app that you could use to get inside houses? And we just started thinking through how that would work. Sure. Um, so that's kind of how it originally started. Before we go on with today's episode, I want to take a minute to address the small business owners listening to the show here at Atlanta born and brand. We hope to bring great value to you over the course of our first season. And now 
we're looking for a couple partners to help us do that. If you're interested in advertising your business or brand on this show, let us know. We're looking to build a team of great companies and ultimately create a network that props up all great Atlanta-run businesses. If you'd like more information, send us an email at info at atlborn.com. That's info at atlborn.com. The idea was there for Fred, but the experience wasn't. So he took one last job, this time with a startup in the med tech space. He worked as VP of sales and marketing, but the real goal was simple. Immerse himself in a startup and prepare for all that would come with eventually launching a company of his own. That experience, basically basically growing from 18 people to about 50 and seeing that, that scale and that growth and the the processes that were integrated, the you know uh, building in systems for accountability with the team, doing some of the digital marketing, learning around uh, how to raise money. You know that was a big part of yeah. creating some of the spreadsheets for my uh, the founder. Um, seeing all that, I felt like I got to like touch and feel all the different aspects of running an early stage startup. I was not running the startup, but I was running the sales and marketing team. Sure, and. Um, that was, I think, what gave me the confidence to that realize that was the like, drug you needed. That to, was it. To get yeah, in there. It, it also kind of confirmed that like the startup space was more for me than the corporate space because I mm-hmm. worked for Johnson Johnson, as I told you, in Chicago, or yeah. for Salesforce. So those two of the biggest, those two big, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Right. You know, one of the biggest technology businesses and one of the big biggest healthcare businesses. And while they were great, you know, the startup space just gives you. This is the the, the way I like compare startups to the corporate world is that you'll never have a stronger link between um, individual contribution and and downstream effect meaning when you're a corporate environment like you can you can like grind and grind and grind and grind and grind and your your contribution is going to make negligible impact right sure. obviously and um, and the ultimate way to make your contribution um, tied to something is to work for a startup because you have so much influence based on what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And even that small team, when I was at Redox with 18 people, the things we were doing to move the business forward were pretty, pretty cool, you know? Um, and I think that's the value in startups. And so I realized, you know, I'm like, I'm never going to work for corporate America again. Yeah. Even well, if, I mean, so- is it any surprise that that realization comes along when kind of like in the background of your day job, you've been, you've never been a guy that goes and buys the house that's already pretty. You yeah. like the one that you see the potential in and you, you know, invest your blood, sweat and tears into building through that house, you know, kind of yeah. bringing that thing to its potential. So if that's not like a perfect Parallel. metaphor for yeah. what, you know, startups are is like absolutely 100 percent potential. Right. It's like it's, it's an idea and it's just bringing about bringing it to fruition. Yeah, I think there's a lot of metaphors that are underlying metaphors too. like whenever you go to a startup. Or when you, whenever you buy a house and it, it's a disaster, like it is terrible. Like it is an absolute, yeah. uh, it, yeah. it sucks. And that's the same as a startup. Like everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people think that there's a lot of glamour, obviously in startups and it just could not be further from the truth. Like sure. there is, I mean, maybe one day, but you know, it's just, it's a constant grind. Right. And that's, no that's kind of how houses are. Now I think the one downside is like when you go and you sell your flip, like the last, the last kind of like, 10% is like really fun. You know, oh, the last 10% where you're the like, reward is just yeah, you're like, you're painting the, you, you, you know, put the like marble countertops in, you paint the walls, you like do the light, you know, put cabinet hardware in like, that's the fun yeah. part. And you get to see like the very end, you take the final pictures 
and it's like your little baby, right? And it just looks so perfect. That's the fun part, the very yeah. end. And I don't think we've, we've definitely are nowhere close to that in terms of this startup, but I think there are a lot of parallels if you end up exiting the company, right? Mm-hmm. You end up selling it. It's almost kind of like sad, right? You're like, wait a minute, uh, I, I kind of want to keep it. Right. But you have to sell it, you know? Right. <laughs> so um, that that's a whole other philosophical conversation around, like, sure. you know, do you want to try and exit the business, sell it, grow it, create a lifestyle company, whatever, right? But well, I mean, over the life, maybe it's all those things. You know? That's true. And, that's and true. Yeah. I think that's one thing that startups struggle with now is like timing of when is that perfect exit. Yeah. You know, because you hear the the story about, okay, everybody freaked out when Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars. Yeah. It's oh like, yeah. Oh, it was less than you know a mm-hmm. year old at that point. Mm-hmm. And now, now it's, it's worth like twenty billion, like, <laughs> fifty billion, whatever that yeah. number is. But anyhow, let's get into the nitty gritty kind of of what simple showing is. So we talked about the initial problem of, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the research is done on the consumer side in a lot of cases now. And that wasn't reflected in Mm -hmm. kind of the business model of what real estate is. So what what does simple showing do to kind of remedy that? Yeah. And and I'll say this, like, you know, the original concept around, you know, what I was telling you about around, like, I wish there was a way, we wish there was a way that back in business school that you could just unlock a door, any door and get inside the house. That, that concept was birthed out of the, the, um, understanding of how Airbnb works and the way Airbnb works is of course you, you know, book a hotel or excuse me, you book a house, let's say. And perfect example is when I was at Redox, that other company, I went and stayed in Boston for a HubSpot conference. Here we use HubSpot. Um, and it's, uh, you know, two blocks from the conference center and all the hotels around there were like $500 while well, I was working for a startup. And they're like, we can't send you there for three days for $1,500. And so I found an Airbnb for, you know, $130 or whatever. Right. And <clears throat> it was the first time I'd ever stayed in Airbnb. This is only like two years ago, three yeah. years ago. And first time I'd ever stayed in Airbnb and walked into the guy's house he leaves the key like in the front, this little mailbox and this little like kind of lockbox thing, right? Walk in, um, you know, set up my stuff in, in the bedroom and like an hour or two later, the guy gets in, he owns a house, right? He's, he's living there too. Yeah. And we go to sleep and like my bedroom's here and like on the other side of the wall where the headboard is, is his bedroom. <laughs> I've never met this guy, right? He doesn't kill me. I don't kill him. Like everything's normal. We wake up, the guy's got like, so, so, you know, the point is it's, it's amazing when you think about it that you can, as a consumer, you can fly across the country to, to Boston or Seattle or whatever, right? Or across the world to the Philippines and stay in an Airbnb. No one dies. Yeah. Everything's fine. You can walk in the house. Generally nothing gets, you know, people don't get robbed. Of course there's insurance policies to support yeah. uh, claims against that and things of that nature. But, but it's crazy if you think about it, if you just stop and think about it for a second that yeah. you can go into someone's home that they own and they're, they're, they're most of the time living in as well. Oftentimes, and stay there for 24 hours, sleep there, maybe sometimes multiple days. But yet, you cannot walk into a house that you're trying to buy in the city of Atlanta or any city in America yeah. without a real estate agent attached to your side. Why is that? You know, it makes no sense. Guaranteed, this is not. This may not be in the next like five years, but guaranteed, what's going to happen eventually is with the advent of, of smart homes where you have like the, the little ring doorbell, you can see someone when they get to your house with the nest, you know, ther- thermometers and the smart home and the connected home and this, you know, the IOT um, devices where you walk in, there's cameras everywhere for the babies. And eventually there will be digital access to every house guaranteed. So you will not be using a physical key. Now that might take several, several years. It may take a couple decades. I don't know. Technology is there now. 
Technology is most certainly there now, and and there really there really isn't a need to have an agent beside your you know by your side to let you in a house. There's really not a need to have an agent walk you inside a house. The only need for an there is some need for a buyer's agent, and that would be to help you structure an offer correctly. Right. And there's also um, some guidance that's needed around you know how to coordinate an inspection, for example, how to like dissect that, interpret an inspection report, uh, maybe how to obtain financing, but but by and large, that issue that, that most people don't understand exists, the reason why people don't think this is a big deal and they, it hasn't dawned on the broader you know, consumer population yet is because the vast, and if, if anything like bleeds through on this podcast, hopefully this does, someone listens, but um, is that most people in America don't understand that their buyer's agent is not a free service. And so what I mean by that is, Everyone has this perception that like, oh, well, I'm using an agent, but it's free, so it's okay. And technically, that's true in of that you don't write a check to your agent. Right. So that, that part is true. You're not writing a check then. But if you're buying a $300,000 home, your agent, whoever you use, let's say you're using Sally, the realtor, um, and she's your friend from high school, she's great. Your wife loves her. You know, They play tennis together, whatever, right? Well, Sally is earning nine thousand dollars on that transaction of a, of a three hundred thousand dollars home. That's three percent times three hundred grand. Where do you think that three uh, that nine thousand dollars is coming from? It is not coming from the seller. It's coming into it's embedded in the cost of that home. It actually sure. comes out if you look at a settlement statement. It's coming out of your mortgage. So whenever you get the loan funded at closing, what happens is you sign all these these paperwork you know, all the, of these docs, and then the lawyers send that paperwork back in on the settlement statement. Once it funds, they call it, then they disperse the money right out of your loan and that seller wants that equity back correct yeah. and and that 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 disbursement of whatever you're getting your loan through if you're getting a loan through SunTrust or whatever they're dispersing those funds to your agent out, off of your loan so point moral of the story is you are paying for your agent right I'm sorry but so that's the big problem is people are like ah, i don't yeah i could get inside a house i really want to tell my own but i'll just bring sally because great great but you're paying for it just know that you know yeah. and so that that's the broader problem is that if people understood that and they're like and, and most people now, it's evolving such that most millennials, they're, they're very much, I talk about this a lot, they're very much contrarians and of that. They're like, why does it work this way? Why does this happen? Mm-hmm. And that's helping us because they're like, I can do this by myself. Why do I need a realtor? And so the more that sort of sentiment grows, it's going to help us because they'll start to unpack the problem and understand like, hey, I, why do I need an agent to let me sell this house? And why, do I, why am I paying her 10000 bucks sure. when I found this house? Those are all the things that kind of set up um, – this concept around building simple showing simple showing doesn't stop at helping the consumer buy a home they take an innovative and certainly controversial stance when working with home sellers as well the selling side is essentially a five thousand dollar fixed fee paid at closing and so ordinarily you're going to be paying three percent as a seller so for example if you're if you're selling that same three hundred thousand dollar home um you know, you're paying three percent to your agent, which is nine thousand bucks. Three percent right. times three hundred grand, nine thousand. <laughs> adds so, up quick. <laughs> so it adds up fast, right? And so we charge a fixed fee of five. And so in that situation, it, it would be a little over one percent um, that we would be charging. So fast forward to this this afternoon, I'm going to see a house. We've got a closing actually in two weeks from now. It's a uh, one point five million dollar house in uh, um, Vickery that's about to close. And so that's that's a more realistic example. So that guy would be would be spending about a little under fifty thousand dollars in sales side commissions, and we are charging him five. So um, 
so yeah, just a lot of. And, well, and, and it and, doesn't have to be a million plus dollar house for this to make sense financially. No, so oh, what, no, no, no. What would a you, and, and, you you got that Georgia Tech MBA degree? Maybe you're a little bit better at math. So five thousand dollars seller commission would typically be like less than a two hundred thousand dollars house. Correct. Anybody that's over, I think the number is like one hundred seventy six thousand dollars. Anybody over that price point, we're saving right. you money. Last year, if you take all of our transactions on the sell side listings that we had, the average home price was like three hundred forty thousand dollars. So on average, we saved people about six thousand bucks sure. last year on the sell side. Um, but that, I mean, so that, that's a, that's a good chunk of change, right? Yeah. I mean that, that on that price of a home is roughly about what you would spend for a year's worth of, uh, mortgage, uh, interest. My phrase is houses sell houses, not agents. And, and it, it's, it's, it always rings true. Um, th- there's definitely, there's definitely guidance that agents can, can provide, particularly in the beginning. There's a, very, there's a lot of expertise that agents can provide from pricing the home. That's probably the biggest thing they can do, to be honest with you, is how to price the home right. and subtle nuances. But if you give me a house, a nice-looking house that's decorated well, that's listed at two ninety nine nine in Brookhaven, you could be the shittiest realtor on the planet, hmm. and that house was going to sell immediately. Immediately. It doesn't matter so, what you mess up. So what you're trying to say is the uh the cleaning lady and the stagers and the photographers are more important Pho- than the realtor photographer is definitely more frequently more important frequently more important so yeah i mean it's just it's it's crazy right and so like it it doesn't um i think that people put way too much value in in what they say hey you should sell this house for me I'm like well the house is the house is gonna sell itself you know the house is good it's gonna sell if the house sucks and it's overpriced that and that's that is where the agent comes in and be like, look, you know, this this just ain't gonna sell for four hundred grand. Everything sucks. Everybody yeah. in your neighborhood is three twenty. Yeah, you just ain't selling for four hundred. I'm sorry. So that that's where an agent could come in and add a lot of value with respect to like helping them. Sure. But but the, the providing the, perspective, providing perspective, and and honestly, probably the biggest thing that we do as listing agents is provide therapy to our patients. Yeah, uh, and that's what we call them because. Consumers are, it doesn't matter how smart they are, how logical they are, how cool they are. Like, oh man, they're so cool to hang out with. That goes out the window. When you're they selling your house, value their own brand. Whenever, yeah. <laughs> whenever your house is on the market for longer than six weeks, people absolutely lose their mind. It doesn't matter how great of a person or how cool they are or how smart they are. It's like all rationality is 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 gone so um so that that is where you know an agent does add a lot of value is just talking them off the ledge and just be like look this is this is how it's going to work let me just let me just calm your nerves a little bit but but that ain't worth you know sixty thousand bucks or fifty thousand bucks we want to take a minute to talk to one specific group of young artists and entrepreneurs if you're from atlanta and are a musician or know a great one we want to hear from you it takes a lot of music to produce an audio only show and we would love nothing more than to fill this program with local artists. Of course, you'd get your name on the end of the show as well. If you're interested, drop us a line to info at atlborn.com. That's info at atlborn.com. Fred has laid out the business model of Simple Showing, but that's basically just the first step. After identifying the problem and hashing out the solution, they still had to grow the business. To do that, they had to educate the consumer in an industry that had done business the same way for a really long time. 
what were your goals on the marketing side? How do you get this story that obviously is very consumer friendly and mm-hmm. tell people this story and educate the public to where you guys are getting the phone starting to ring? We, we started off doing a lot of, as you might imagine, a lot of digital marketing within a small flywheel, small areas that we thought we'd have success. So, um, and we tested two distinct different areas, actually. Um, one of them was an in-town market, which would be uh, this, the whole like East Atlanta Village, um, Reynoldstown, Inman Park, um, you know, Cabbage Town, Kirkwood, all the, those the hipster side, the hipster Atlanta. side, right? That are yeah. that are, and the reason why is because it's very transient. Like you just have the days on market is low, sure. you know, stuff moves fast, and um, people hold their houses for fewer years, right? So like if you go to Buford, the average. Link, the, no, this is a guess, but the length of time people hold their homes where they actually sell it—it it could be like seven years, sure. eight years. That you're you're li- you're moving there. You ain't you ain't leaving for a while. Right. Whereas you go to you go to Edgewood, it's like th- it's like it might be two and a half. It's a fraction of the time yeah. because people move to Atlanta like oh, I'm gonna get this condo, this house, and they're like oh they get a, a promotion or whatever, and they move to a bigger house. Sure. So it's 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 a lot more turnover, right? So we tested that area, and then we tested uh, South Forsyth, which is you know Alpharetta coming because that is a very it's a growing area. It's an affluent area. There are very good schools there. And, um, it's just, it's also very competitive in terms of real estate, um, with the realtors, but we wanted to test that area. So we, we ran a lot of, um, we started out just running like, you know, basic Google campaigns, mm-hmm. Facebook campaigns, et cetera. Um, and now at this point we've tested virtually every channel you can test broadcast yeah. channels. We've done uh, radio. Um, uh, we just started dabbling with billboards. Um, but I think where we I saw one of those billboards, by the way, did in you? South Forsyth. Oh, there you go. I did. Oh, good. Thankfully, somebody yeah. saw it. I was like, hey, there's there's Fred. <laughs> those <laughs> are really the they're really hard to track. You know, that's that's you a, think? that's the thing that's that's the thing that's tough about uh, that's the thing that's tough about any broadcast channel, radio included, is you can put. Um, so we we tested like a, a an 800 number that was only dedicated to that one radio spot, and so you can kind of test what calls come in, but. But I mean, that's the, I think obviously the big value in digital is, you know, you can literally, you can look at the metrics like the next day, right? So, I mean, it's just so much better. Um, But, uh, but yeah, in terms of growing the business, we started in Atlanta and got to the point where we, once we establish a flow of referrals, which take down the customer acquisition costs. um, And now that we get referrals in and we have some word of mouth, not virality, but a little bit of word of mouth, um, I guess, goodwill. That, that's when it made sense to to go to another market because sure. then we could, you know, spread that marketing spend somewhere else. Right. And I think the other thing was just was hiring. I think the thing that we've learned is like, you can't go to a new market unless you can find someone that's really good. Yeah. So that was the big thing. Like you can be like, oh, Charlotte looks great. We got to go to Charlotte. It's there's a lot of market dynamics that right. would would you know serve our business well. But if you can't find someone that's really good there, it's not worth doing it. You know. Sure. And so we you act- stretch yourself too thin, and, and yeah. at this point in your in your history, you're you're playing with fire, right? Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Definitely on the marketing spin, we've we've struggled with that a little bit because you know if you only have a certain bucket of money, you know, do you want to spend that one market or three markets? You know, and you just yeah. start diluting your message if you go into too many markets. Um, that's where raising capital comes in. Sure. <laughs> so, and and it's interesting. You know, we talked about the marketing side. You being a a tech startup in a lot of ways, you mm-hmm. know, with the technology that you guys have put into the app. Millennials, you know, I know, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, tell me if, if this is wrong, but they care more about 
how a brand looks and feels yeah. than maybe ever before. So Absolutely. did you know right off the bat that you had to ha- your brand had mm-hmm. to be good looking, it had to be hip, it had yeah. to feel current. What was the, what was the thought process We there? yeah, I like that. I mean, we had to ha- we wanted to have something that was edgy enough. We we're we're trying to strike this delicate balance. I don't know that we've necessarily nailed it yet, but I think we're getting closer and closer each month probably, but because because brand also um, informs like your, your copy, you know, what right. you put on your website, which you put on your ads. Right. Um, and so I think what we've tried to, we've tried to find this delicate balance of being edgy such that we, we don't sound like a traditional real estate right. agent or broker. Right. Um, because if you do that, your message gets diluted out and it doesn't stand out above the crowd and above yeah. all the other agents that are advertising. But if you sound too edgy and too, you know, sort of, um, almost risky, right? And almost kind of like, um, you know. Reckless. S- something almost. reckless. But yeah, yeah. yeah that, 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 that's very uh, apart, different from the, you know, the common, commonly tread path. Then with something that's so important, like buying a house, you're spending a lot of money, it's an important choice, obviously. You know, then it, it, it becomes, it's it's kind of, the pendulum swung away, you know, a little little too much, right? Yeah. So like, you know, because we, we started, <laughs> we had some ads in the beginning that were like, you know, you're real, that was like, shock and awe like your realtor sucks like that was the ad <laughs> yeah and people I, I like, saw a couple of like those. you know like that yeah. that you know people were like wait what and so they're like <laughs> are you an agent or not and so it was almost confusing for people so we've tested a lot of stuff like that and and then they're like you know real, your realtor sucks they're like yeah they do and then they discover that we're agents too and they're like wait a minute but you're a realtor i'm like yeah but here's the thing you know and so it's yeah. hard to explain so i think that you're absolutely right in of that the um we're trying to to you know the whole branding uh and appealing to millennials is is um, a thing that I don't think we've mastered yet, but I think that we stand out enough. They really want to save money because they're mindful of you know those those savings that exist. Saving money is how Simple Showing gets customers in the door, but I wanted to know what the long-term play was. So I asked Fred, is your company ultimately a discount realtor, or is there a much bigger plan involved? Currently, what our app does is just allows buyers to consumers to book property showings on demand. Right. And so you do the shopping on your own. You find an area you like. You're going to buy in Reynolds Town, pick out two or three houses, go on our app, you know, book book a time, pick a day, pick a day, pick a de- uh, time. We show up, we unlock the door, um, and then we give you half the commission back. Right. So there's no commitment. You don't have to sign any like the normal. Normally, you would sign like a buyer broker agreement with a realtor. We don't do that. There's no contracts you have to sign. There's no commitment. There's no obligation. It's completely free. Um, and then we, we write the contract like a normal agent. We go through the whole process, help you buy it, kick back at the commission. Um, a, one wrinkle I will, um, disclose, um, after you do a certain amount of showings, if you do like more than 10 showings, we start to scale down that refund sure. because, you know, on average people are seeing about seven or eight houses before they buy a home with us, mm-hmm. but we do have some that see like 15, 20. <laughs> so, you know, we can't be showing you like a hundred houses and yeah. still giving you all the money back. Right. So there is, there is some subtleties there, but, um, on average people are getting uh, a, a little under 1.5% back. Um, right now it's like 1.4%, but yeah, so I think that, that is, um, that's what we're running with right now. It's working. It's getting us leads. Um, we get, of course, people that hear about the sell side mm-hmm. stuff for five thousand dollars, and we our business is split pretty much right in the middle, half buyers, half sellers. But um, what we're eventually going to do is expand our platform such that you can do everything all in our app. Meaning, you book the tour, and let's say you see it tomorrow at three o'clock or whatever, right? You really liked it, 
And so you go back in, you log in, and you create an offer inside our app. Wow. And so you put you put a number in there. I'm going to offer yeah. you know three hundred and five thousand dollars, and then we're going to have very much like a TurboTax style guidance, like because they're, they're, the thing that people don't realize is on a, on a real estate contract. There's really even though it's like eight pages in Georgia, which is kind of long. There's really only like four things you can change. Right. So all the other stuff is kind of like pre-paked boilerplate language. Yeah. So you really just need the price. You need the number of due diligence days. What's your earnest money amount? What day you're going to close? And any special tips. That's it. So that's how you scale is get that technology in place that that kind of eliminates the friction between uh, you know agent and buyer. I guess eliminates the friction and also helps us with respect to like manual manually you know putting a lot of this stuff sure. in. So it helps them, sure. you know, we can, everything can be e-signed, which most of it's e-signed already, but right. so they can create that offer online. And so what we're also planning to do is, is verticalize our business such that when they get to that point, they're about to make an offer, you ordinarily would attach a pre-approval letter. Mm. And so we're going to have, we're exploring partnerships with um, lenders, really brokers, so that we could have them get pre-approved on our platform and we could monetize that as well. So there's some, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, because if you have a lot of buyers going through your platform, you need to offer them some right. sort of mechanism to get pre-approved. Right. So we think that there's an opportunity there and we plan to do that. Um, and then eventually the goal is when, when sellers are paying $5,000 to this, what if we brought them a buyer because buyers are coming in and right. we're, we're their, their buyer's agents. You've got uh, a database of buyers. Already. we got a database of yeah. buyers. So in those situations, it is possible. And what we plan to do is have um, a Twilio style or an SMS alert mm. that that sellers can basically receive from directly from buyers. So if you want to book a showing for a house, it completely bypasses us, goes directly to the seller, and the seller can approve showings with us sitting in the middle. Realtors are going to love that. And so realtors are They're not going to like love it. love that. So, uh, <laughs> but, but think about it. From a seller perspective, if we can say, hey, we're only going to charge you $5,000, but guess what? Yep. There's a chance you have to pay $0 to the buyer's agent because there's not one. So right. that's where it really becomes a game changer because every time we talk to a consumer, this happens every single week, every week, every week, every week. They're like, this is really cool. All I have to do is pay $5,000, right? Well, no. hold on. You got to pay the buyer's agent. Right. Everyone, of course, is always disappointed because no one wants to pay a buyer's agent. That's when it becomes really interesting yeah. when we can create a marketplace, a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace such that the buyer and the seller transact with one another and there's no buyer yeah. agent fee in the middle. Then people get really inspired to list with us. Sure. Because <laughs> they're like, this is sweet. You're going to only charge me $5,000 and there's a chance. Right. You've already got a pool of people that might buy my house. Correct. Yeah. So that's where I think it's going for us. That's going to take us several months to, to build out, maybe even a year. But, um, but sure. as we grow, that's what's going to happen. And brand is so important. It's such an integral part of that because. Yeah. You got to educate people. Got it. Yeah. And, and they have to make it trusted so that people mm -hmm. feel like they, you know, feel, someone's going to get pre-approved with us. They got to trust. You said that. Yeah. Yeah. They got to trust us. And um, there's got to be, I think, a lot of authenticity around, you know, us being somewhat edgy, but also somewhat like, sure. you know, still seeming sophisticated. You know, yeah, you almost. I'm glad you said that, too, because I think some people think brand means the shock and awe. But yeah. it's just as much that trust angle, especially yeah. when you're dealing with major decisions like buying a house and totally, yeah. mortgaging your, your life and future. Your life and future <laughs> and ch children's future, yeah. With real estate and startups, for that matter, there's always some inherent risk. Fred McGill and his company are simply showing this industry that using technology to create a better system for the consumer is always a good bet. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. 
we're a full-service digital media production company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you're looking to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connectstatl.com. Special thanks go out to Chris Hilliard, Joshua Pruitt, and our families who make it all possible. Stay tuned to the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.